0: Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Family Meal. I am delighted to introduce today's guest, Emily Fedner of at Food Lover's Diary. Instagram blog platform, but she is so much more than her online presence. She is just a wonderful, delightful, bubbly, and inquisitive and smart person. And I'm lucky to call her a friend, even though we are now separated. Uh, she used to live in LA, and that's where we met. But anywho, uh, Emily has a fascinating story of how she's pivoted in her food careers. She always knew she had a love for food, which she talks about on the episode. And then just how she translated that into a career is is very honest and and exciting and how she you know really struggled with pivoting and finding the career in the food world that really spoke to her. I mean she worked in food PR, transitioned to a line cook, which we talk about our restaurant days and you know how being a line cook for her was one of the most the most rewarding and challenging things in her life and shout out to everyone else right now who maybe has returned to work or is still out of a job but what's cool is that Emily created a e cookbook called Pasta Lover's Diary, which I've purchased, and it's incredible. Um, part of the proceeds benefit a New York um, undocumented workers fund, so definitely check that out. There'll be a link in my bio. And she also has her own podcast, Babushka Podcast, which she briefly touches on, but um, just the beauty of, in a similar vein, you know, talking about family recipes, but at a more grandparent level. So I'm just delighted about this episode. I've loved re-listening to it. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And I just also want to give a shout out to Emily for using her platform for more than just food. You know, she touches on mental health. She touches on body image. And um, if you aren't already following her... Definitely check her out at Food Lover's Diary, but you'll fall in love with her in this episode. So without further ado, I give you Emily Fedner. This is Family Meal with Natalie Pelletier a podcast centered around family recipes, but exploring much more. We talk food, family, and the jobs these creative chefs, foodies, and dreamers have had along the way. So pull up a chair, grab a plate, and let's dig in to Family Meal. Well, you guys, welcome back to another episode of Family Meal. i using Zoom technology again to communicate, and I have Emily Fedner of Food Lover's Diary. With me. She's all the way in Brazil. This whole time before, I mean, I'm going to spoil some of it, but you just came out with an e cookbook for pasta. And in your intro, you flash forward to April 2020, you've been in Brazil at your boyfriend's since this whole quarantine started. So, holy shit.
1: Yeah, we came here on March 3rd for a two-week vacation to visit my boyfriend's parents, and we try to go once a year. So, you know, we came, we usually go to a couple cities. We went to Sao Paulo, then we went to Praia Forte, which is like a little beach town, mm-hmm. and then Belo Horizonte, where his parents live in the state of Minas Gerais, and we have been here ever since. So it's been almost three months of living in Brazil.
0: I mean, besides, not that, I mean, I've never been to Brazil, so I, I'm sure there is sort of, like, have you settled into the culture a little bit now that you've like been there for three months yeah
1: I'm I always wanted to live outside of the country and I never got to study abroad so that was something I you know on one end I'm so excited I'm able to do that but it just sucks that it's during a time where everything's closed and I'm mostly just at home so you know as far as settling into the culture like definitely I'm eating all the foods and learning so much from his parents and things mm-hmm. like that but I'm not going to museums or, or right. market and all the right. things I would do if I were living here under normal circumstances, which is a bummer. It's been actually like, been really nice, honestly, to be here.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've caught up with with your parents and sister and and friends who are still on the East Coast, but how do you think things are different, like quarantine-wise in Brazil?
1: Well, you know, what's so funny is that when everything was really, you know, I live in New York, so when everything was really going down in New York, I was in Brazil. And right now, Brazil is experiencing kind of what New York was experiencing mm-hmm. back in like March. But when, when everything was initially going down in New York, I felt super weird and felt so surreal because I was seeing what my friends were posting and what they were saying. And I was like, I'm kind of in paradise right now. And I feel really, really guilty about it. Like mm-hmm. things feel so normal here. Over here in Belo Horizonte, and especially just living at my boyfriend's parents' house, things don't feel super weird, but I know in Sao Paulo and especially in like Amazonas and other areas of Brazil that are with a lot of indigenous people, like things are really, really bad.
0: Mm, This whole time has been insane, but I think, you know, silver linings of this time in quarantine is that a lot of people have been finding comfort in their kitchens and they've been finding comfort in cooking and, you know, uh, spending their money in different ways and, cherishing, like, you know, let's, let's buy really good meats or cheeses or whatnot. And we can't go to restaurants or, you know, there's only so much takeout you can order. So that is a silver lining and cool because, you know, given what both of our podcasts aim at talking to is like continuing family recipes and keeping those lines of communication alive. So I'm curious as to what recipe you wanted to share as, as far as, yeah. by the way, I want to
1: say on the record that I'm pretty sure subconsciously your podcast inspired my podcast. <laughs> because I was thinking about it. I was like, they are similar and yours is, came first and you told me about yours. And I feel like subconsciously, like I loved your idea so much that it really inspired my podcast, which is kind of more grandparent focused, but it's definitely a similar premise. And I just, I love what you're doing. with Oh, show. thanks.
0: Um, I mean, Hey, the yeah. more the merrier, you know, like the more people yeah. are getting to talk to their grandparents or family and more of those recipes are shared, like the better. So thank you. I,
1: I agree, but I just want to say that my family recipe and the recipe that I guess inspired my podcast the recipe that kind of inspires a lot of things in my life is my Babushka Lloya's Vareniki. Vareniki are a Ukrainian dumpling similar to pierogies. Pierogies definitely hit the mainstream a little harder. And my Babushka used to make the most delicious potato and fried onion Vareniki. And so that is the dish and the recipe that I want to share with you guys because some of my favorite memories are of sitting at my grandma's like rickety little kitchen table. and we can get all into like yes. my past and, and uh-huh. that, but my grandparents were Holocaust survivors and they were immigrants and they moved to the States when they were in their like 60s. They never spoke English actually. When I was born in 1992, my parents had only been in the country for like, Four years. So they mm-hmm. were starting their lives over. They were taking college classes. They were learning the English language. They were really busy. So me and my twin sister were for the first couple of years of our life primarily like, raised by our grandparents. And Russian was our first language. And yeah, so that was a long-winded way of saying bireyki.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Talk more about that. I mean, that's just so fascinating. For your first generation, then American, yeah. now bringing all this culture and amazing food. I mean, I can't wait to. To try to recreate the dumplings myself. Anything with fried onion is really just, and potato, yeah, game over. So your p- grandparents raised you. We'll talk more about the like rickety, I don't know, that image of the rickety, yeah. you know, kitchen okay. table. Like, I just yeah. want, I want I'll, to know more.
1: I'll take you way back to. <laughs> Columbus, Ohio, in the 90s, which is where I was raised, there was a community called the Bexley Plaza Apartments, which is a little apartment complex kind of outside of the suburb of Bexley where my family lived. For some reason or another, I think it's because there was like Section 8 housing. I think there was like some governmental program that allowed a lot of the refugees and the immigrants mm-hmm. to live in this apartment complex. So it ended up just being this bustling comp- complex of a bunch of Russian grandparents. And their grandkids, and it was amazing. It was like the most beautiful childhood. I mean, I lived at home with my parents, obviously, but we spent a lot of weekends with our grandparents, and basically, all like summers were spent at the mm-hmm. pool of the apartment complex. So my grandparents lived in a tiny apartment. I had my babushka and my dad Fima. They were married, my mom's parents, they lived in an apartment, and catty corner from that apartment was my dad's mom, Babushka Lida. So me and my twin sister would like take turns like hanging out with different grandmas and like walking across the little path and hanging out with the other grandma. The apartment was tiny and you know, it's interesting, Looking back now and really realizing what the situation was, you know, mm-hmm. no one really had money. Our furniture, a lot of the furniture at my house and our grandparents' house were, was donated by Jewish Family Services, Jewish Federation, etc. So it was like a little rickety kitchen table. And I just have such vivid memories of hanging out in the kitchen while my grandpa would be smoking meat. My grandpa made everything himself. So he would like be smoking meats. So he'd be making pickles. So he'd be making his own forog, which is farmer's cheese. At the same time, my grandma would be like heating something on the stove, like bouillon, which is chicken soup. And then a lot of times they would be making buriniki because it was a, a highly requested dish. I just would always sit at that table and first of all, observe them. Second mm-hmm. of all, stuff my favorite, whatever was going on. Yeah, And um, and yeah, that was a central place of the house, the kitchen.
0: And your twin sister, did you guys, were you both fascinated and enamored by food or did you sort of take the front seat uh, as far as that um, department goes? Well.
1: Yeah. Well, Franny (laughs) actually was the opposite of me when we were little. I swear to God, Natalie, when I was little... I would eat so much, so voraciously and so fast that I projectile vomited almost every meal until I was two years (laughs) old because I was so excited about eating. Meanwhile, my twin sister, who, by the way, I was the runt. I was tiny. I was like born with the umbilical cord on my neck. I was like little and blue and pounds less than my twin sister, but I outgrew her very quickly. Don't worry. And she, (laughs) she was the worst. She hated food. She hated eating. Like you, like there were pictures of us where like, I'm just like smiling and eating so much and she has food everywhere because she's just like refusing to eat but now we're all obsessed all the sisters
0: good you have another s- older sister or do you have two older sisters
1: just one older sister so what? my older sister natalia was actually five years old when my parents came over so she was born in ukraine she is the name of the town and that is why there's 10 years between us so she's a full decade older than me and my twin sister Oh, gotcha. great, but everyone's like do you guys have the same parents and we do we have the same set of parents.
0: And that family dynamic, I mean, obviously you would, you would be your, you know, grandparents on weekends, but do you remember like growing up, the weekday sort of dinner situation was? Were you at your, were, did you guys have to like sit down and eat dinners together? Were you making food? Was your mom, uh, was your dad? Like what was that dynamic like?
1: That's something else that I've been thinking about a lot in adulthood because we actually did not really sit down as a family for dinner. And I, I think I would get really jealous and, and like sad because my friends did, a lot of them, but my parents were really busy working and doing things. And so we didn't really have family dinners, but what we did do is my mom frequently cooked so much soup and it was such a common sight to open the fridge and see a gigantic pot of either borscht or chicken soup or vegetable soup, whatever she made. And we'd kind of be able to take portions for ourselves whenever we wanted and heat them up. So, you know, it was her way of like, Allowing us to have homemade meals without actually cooking every night. She was the cook. My dad doesn't cook at all. (laughs) All this is such a like Russian woman, Russian man dynamic.
0: That's awesome. And I mean, hey, there's good and bad, and like not good and bad, but just it's different ways of of growing up. And and I feel like it obviously you know shapes how you are. But you, I think that that tends to kind of give people independence at a younger age rather than like you know, their parents cooking dinner for them all the time, which is also amazing. But you know, you yeah. just, you just see how that can shift how a person grows up and in, in that sense. So
1: yeah. we were expected to get straight A's, but like I didn't sit down with my mom and do homework. And obviously at a certain point, my English surpassed her English. So it's like, she couldn't help me with that. But yeah. We were very independent
0: kids. You know, you grew up in Ohio and then you, did both you and your sister go to New York for college or how did, what was the transition from Ohio to then where you are now? I mean, I know that's like a huge year, you know, 10 year span or so, but.
1: I know Jesus Christ, I graduated high school so long ago, it's sad. So essentially both me and my twin sister went to NYU our freshman year of college, but I actually didn't like it. And I had a really hard time with it there. So I transferred back to Ohio State and she stayed. So I ended up transferring back to Ohio State I graduated college early, like a semester early. And then I moved to LA where I met you. And then I moved back to New York about four years ago. So I did like a whole loop-de-loop thing.
0: You've definitely worn a lot of different hats, but they all are like intertwined with each other. And I think at yeah. the at the end of the day, they really just sort of show your, your love and appreciation for food. I mean, didn't you sort of like happen to fall into food PR? Like it wasn't necessarily what you had set out to do. Yeah. I feel like you told me this story once.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I moved out to LA. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had graduated marketing major from a big 10 school, which is like a billion people on earth. You know, I moved to LA and one time I was sitting with my older sister and my uh, and her friend and one of our really good friends, Suzanne Senna. My sister was like, Emily, you have to stop ignoring the fact that you're obsessed with food and you cannot, like you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't work in food. So the three of us sat down, we Googled cool jobs and food. Truly, I'm pretty sure we stumbled upon a BuzzFeed article. I stumbled upon the idea of being a publicist for chefs and restaurants, which is something i would never heard of because I think coming from Ohio, you're like, if you want to work in food, you're a a chef, you're a waiter. Like, I don't know. You don't really realize Mm -hmm. the depth careers in the industry. Long story short, my, my sister had a friend of a friend who like knew the wine girl at Little Dom's or Dominic's at the time. And we, me and Jody, my, my sister's friend, Jody, like came in, talked to Susie and Susie was like, you'd be so great at Bread and Butter PR, which is the firm that was working with Dominic's at the time. I got a meeting with them and they, I think things clicked and I got an internship that turned into a job. So that was kind of how I stumbled into being mm-hmm. a publicist.
0: What's always ranged true for you, at least As far as like me observing how you like love to grow and shift is like, if something isn't calling you, you like, you pivot, you know, like you, you decide that you, you don't have to like just stay as in one position. You're like, okay, well that served its purpose. Like how can I continue Mm -hmm. to keep growing? So I really like admire that about you and how you've just chosen to stretch yourself. Like, I don't think 22 year old you would be like, oh yeah, I'm going to like work as a line cook. No, yeah, you know, like
1: like wearing hair extensions and getting spray tans and like caring about football players. And that is, it's just my, I have shifted as a person so much, but you know, it's interesting because I used to think I was bad because I think my whole life I was taught and, and to no one's fault. I think my parents really valued stability and, you know, that's pretty clear why, given what they went through in their lives and immigration. So I thought it was bad that I kept you know, changing my mind or wanting something new or that I couldn't just be happy where I was. And there's this Russian saying that kind of translates to having pins in your butt. Like you can't sit down fully because there's like <laughs> pins in your ass and you're just like jumping up every second. And that's kind of me. After being a publicist for a little less than a year in LA, I'd started dating my boyfriend who lived lived in New York, lives in New York, whatever. Actually, I met him that fr- that one year in NYU, which is just a little side note because it's to say that you never know when, what's gonna be important in your life. Like I was only at NYU for a year, but my roommate had gone to high school in Abu Dhabi with my current boyfriend and I met him on Skype because they were friends. And that is how we started dating. We're still together. Yeah. That is. Like that's just a weird <laughs> connection. Side note, aside. But the point is I was I was making my way to New York. Um. whether in one way or another. And I had my sights set on a different firm that was uh, Becca PR. Which, and Becca PR is like a dream job for me because of the, the clients they, they mm-hmm. worked with. I went through a very rigorous interview process. It took a month. I had like four interviews and I got hired and I moved to New York and I had an amazing time working with clients like Ignacio Matos, Estela, Jenny Britton-Bauer, Jenny's Ice Creams. Mm. I worked with April Bloomfield. I worked with Michael Simon who was one of my clients. It was just like super high level PR. And when you're doing it at that level and it's still not for you, it's just not for you. And that's kind of a sad realization that I had a really difficult time coming to. It was like a culture shock, the work level of work between LA and New York. It's just a totally different environment. I grew a lot and learned a lot as a publicist, but I had kind of a weird moment at the end of that year at Becca PR where I was just like, I don't know who I am and I don't know what I wanna do. And I don't love what I do right now. I love food. Like I remember going to meetings and and I would be sitting with the owners and the owner and the chef like talking about PR stuff and I would look over across the way and I'd see all the servers having family meal and I was like, I want to jump this fence. Like I want to be over there. I don't want to be where I am right now. So I quit. I had like a, I'll, I'll gloss over like all the mental, you know, stuff, but I just like to touch on it because I feel like when you look at my career, anyone's career, it's easy to be like, Oh my God, she did this. And then this, and this is so amazing. It's like, it's never as easy at look as it looks. And I definitely had a hard time and struggled with a, like a depressive period at that at that time, kind of not knowing what I wanted and and what I was going to be. But after the, after I came out the other end, I realized that I wanted to get closer to food. And so I convinced someone I met through PR to let me stage at his restaurant, Frankie Spuntino. That's how I started down my path, my, my other life as a line cook. I love that.
0: Like you highlighted, I read your, uh, your blog post about how you, like what a day before yeah. the kitchen open looked like and just whatever you want to share about your time yeah, as a line cook is so fascinating because right now those and, and in general line cooks and people who are the back of house, a lot of times they are undocumented workers, they are working two jobs because they go somewhere and they work in the morning one place and they go at night and work at another place just Mm -hmm. because of like the wage discrepancy in for front of house and back of house. So like these people who are making your food while they're not like the chef, you know, like the head chef or the CDC or whatever, they're busting their ass to, Mm -hmm. you know, bring that, that chef's idea to life each and every time a plate of food comes out. So shout out to all those people who are, most likely out of a job right now, but I would just love to hear what your experience is. Like, because it's for me, like hearing you talk about, like, that's also, I'm envious of that. Like I would love to go back and like be on the line and, you know, do whatever. So anyway, I'm just so excited to hear about it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, I would, well, I'd love to share it. Clearly, I like talking. First of all, yes, yes, and yes to everything you just said. I'll start with my experience, and then I'm going to talk about my coworkers. So, first of all, I started as a stage, which is an unpaid intern, and I did that for two months, and then I was hired on garde manger, which is the cold section, which kind of like entry level line cook section. It was by far the most difficult, challenging, scary, uncomfortable thing I've ever done, but it was also the best, smartest most rewarding to this day like the number one life-changing thing I've ever done is be a line cook it's just unlike any other job like it's so physical it's so demanding as a line cook in the Garden Manje station I was responsible for about three quarters of the menu I was the first person to get busy when we started dinner because I was working on all the apps like all the crostini antipasti cheese plates etc that was me and then I was the last person to feel the hit because I was also responsible for desserts during lunchtime or brunch I was responsible for like sandwiches and stuff so so my my dishes range from like little crostini appetizers all the meat plates all the antipasti all the cheeses all the salads and all the desserts so that's a giant chunk of the menu that you have to memorize how to make first of all and you have to execute consistently with efficiency and that was like a huge challenge i burned myself so many times which is so hilarious because i was on the cold station but for some reason i kept <laughs> burning myself on the fucking toaster that i was using for the Christini because it was like industrial level toaster and so every time i'd like reach in to get a Christini, i would burn my arms and actually you can kind of see i still have the scars on yeah this arm. oh totally from so burning myself and luckily i don't have a scar on my neck because the one time i was forced to work the grill i had an accident and mm-hmm. i hadn't I had an accident flipping a chicken Milanese and the oil splashed mm-hmm. up it, and I burnt my entire neck. It was bubbling. And I, and everyone's like, Oh my God, did you freak out? I was like, no, I fucking kept cooking for three more hours because service wasn't over. Right, so right. You, know, you just have to really develop a tough skin. I remember my first day as a stage was, I think the day before, or it was Valentine's day and we were, oh, running, special, yeah, we were running a special special. Linguini, like with with mussels and seafood whatever just like a romantic pasta dish mm-hmm. and my first ever job in a professional kitchen was to clean mussels with steel wool and ice cold water with your hands submerged in an ice bath for three hours. My hands were numb. I kept accidentally cutting myself with the steel wool. I was like pulling the barnacles off and the little beards off the muscles. And then I think that was it. I think they had me go home after that, but I think they were just testing me. I experienced so much during, it was a little less than a year, but I gave up my life. I gave up Weekends, I gave up holidays, I gave up things like Valentine's Day. Like that's a thing of the past. And Natalie, you obviously understand that because you worked in restaurants for so long. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a server or you're back of house. But if you're a server, you have subs. Like you have people you can ask to work for you. As a line cook, I did not. Like you kind of see the disparity between how front of house and back of house are treated. Like there's a lot less freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, hours are crazy. I would start my shift around three and I'd be done around midnight. I'd do that five days a week on my feet consistently.
0: It's Crazy because when I when I read slash you were just talking about your your station when I was working at AOC there would be you know you would and then the line cooks would like progress up they would we would have there were a few different stations there was like you know that the cold the guard I don't know what they exactly called it maybe they did call it it guard
1: probably
0: but it was the person who did all of the salads, all of the cheese uh, and veggie, you know, versions of charcuterie plates. They did the desserts so that like all the cold things. And then there was a person on oven. There was a person who was doing all the like fried chicken and they were on the grill. And then there was also a person on saute. And sometimes Mm. depending on what day of the week it was, there were like a few extra bodies back there But it was like A tiny ass kitchen Pumping out all these Different small plates And so And it, it was one of those things Where like if one Being efficient at doing it Was also just like Such a huge thing Because they're just Having to pump out So many dishes Yeah it was It was wild for me To like watch And I I know that Some of the servers Definitely were like Oh whoever is on This station tonight But it's like I I don't know I was just like Empathetic to the whole process Because I was like I know that they are working I mean, So hard And a- it's all like A part of It's, it's really all about part of the the wheel to like keep the restaurant going. And, and I just, I feel for everyone who's out of work. You have this amazing cookbook called Past Lover's Diary. And I just would love to hear about the process of you creating that and talk a little bit more of how you're giving back via the sales?
1: Totally. totally. So my time as a line cook really opened my eyes to the industry. I mean, I've worked in restaurants since I was 15. So I've always known undocumented workers. I've always understood the way the business works. But I think going from front of house to back of house, like going from those are the guys in the kitchen to being like, I'm one of them really shifted my perspective. And I learned so much about my coworkers. But I had a coworker who he was a porter and he sent money back to his family. So all, we're making minimum wage, I was Making like $15 an hour to live in New York and make that is insane. You know, I had the support of my boyfriend. We like switched up our rent divide while I was doing that. And we were able to do that. But in those situations, like a lot of the kitchen staff like live together or like have have plenty of roommates. They live so lean and they are still able to send like half their paychecks home to to their family in Columbia because the money is worth so much more. And that's a lot, a lot of the time, that's why the undocumented workers are there. They're there to like make money for a certain period of time, send it back to their family and then rejoin their family. Mm -hmm. And I, I met a lot of people who are doing that. So fast forward to today. First of all, during that time, I learned a lot about pasta because it was an Italian restaurant. I knew nothing. I learned about, I, I learned how to stop over cooking pasta. I learned about how amazing pasta water is and how many things you can use it for. I learned so much. I didn't know how to make, I'd never made fresh pasta. I thought it was so complicated. I watched the guy do it every day and I was like, I still can't figure out what the hell he's doing. <laughs> so I progressed a lot, needless to say. But in many ways, that time in the kitchen inspired the Posse ebook. So I just came out with a Posse book called Pasta Lover's Diary and it is 14 pasta recipes part of which are dry box pasta like simple pantry pasta recipes and half of which are fresh pasta projects the part i think that i'm even more excited about is that i'm uh, donating a portion of my proceeds. The Undocu Workers Fund uh, by seat they are giving out mini grants to undocumented workers. I believe I've already almost raised $500 for the cause, which is like mm. great, and I hope to do more. I'm like putting it out there everywhere. I'm not in a position where I can donate everything because if I were, I would. Right now, I'm just doing a portion. If I sell a lot, I'll, sell, I'll donate more. Undocumented workers, I just want to quickly speak on this. When someone's an undocumented worker, they're not like skipping out on taxes or social security. What happens is they typically illegally purchase someone else's social security number, and that is how they get their direct deposits, their payments. Taxes, social security, et cetera, are deducted from their paycheck just like anyone else in America. So they are paying those things, just not under their own names. But when it comes time like this pandemic and other people are getting unemployment and are part of the stimulus plan, they unfortunately don't qualify. It's just such a valuable, amazing workforce. And they work so much harder than so many people. They're just like, pardon my French, they're fucked when things like this happen. And so that's kind of the, my big reasoning in, in supporting that.
0: fund. Completely. And and I think that that is so important. I just had Kate Green on and we talked about a few other, you know, undocumented worker funds that are happening in LA. So I encourage you wherever you're listening, be it in a major city or you know, wherever in the world, just kind of tap into those resources and and make sure to spread the love. I know that we're all in a weird financial position right now, but what you can give, give. And I know that like I so badly just like want, yeah, I just want to like give so much more than I you know have the means to at the moment but there are other ways that you that you can give back totally. um, so definitely look at there's
1: financial means right now to give mm-hmm. back and that's totally okay i agree yeah. there's ways yeah. to do it without yeah having there to are, give money. The, there are
0: ways to give back or you know volunteering your time at food banks or just don't if you have like even if it's donating clothes because it's like their families can't afford to go buy new clothes like whatever whatever you can and I think that hopefully the way that people are giving back right now will will continue to to give and support and that will just kind of bring forth a new a new way of living that's hopefully a little bit more kind another thing too that's even simple at home is really that I think is meaningful is calling people, checking in, making sure that they're doing okay, whether it's an aunt or uncle or whether it's a friend and, um, you know, just, just checking in on people too. Cause mental health is a huge, is a huge part of, of yeah. how people are, are processing this so
1: it's true and I feel like people are scared to talk about it I love that the conversation's more open now and I love that even though my platform is mostly about food I've had the opportunity to speak out a little bit more about mental health because it's something that's so important to me and what's going on right now is not normal and if all you can do is just call your friend to check in like you're doing something you are helping
0: Mm-hmm. What were some things, if you don't mind talking a little bit more about it, because I know you said you had a period of time before you, you yeah. dealing with stuff mentally, like what were some resources that you did or were there, what were some things that sort of like helped you grow yeah. as a person?
1: I am generally speaking, really bad at being sad. Like I am a very upbeat person. I do my best to be happy and productive. And in a lot of ways, like I'm really lucky that I'm able to kind of create that environment, that mental environment for myself. But I have definitely had like several really tough periods in my life. During the time when I was transitioning from being a publicist to line cook, something that completely changed my life is working out. I get like weird about how I want to approach the topic because it sounds like, oh my God, just work out. You're going (laughs) to get so many endorphins. So great. And like, that is just not the way I want to frame this. I was lucky enough and fortunate enough. My boyfriend was listening to Tim Ferriss' podcast and he heard about the Peloton bike and he decided he really wanted one because we had just moved to like deep green point and we were Mm -hmm. not close to anything it would take me 35 minutes to walk to like the Williamsburg flywheel studio for instance like Mm -hmm. I wasn't close to anything and also I was a line cook so my hours were weird as hell like you know so he got a Peloton bike and at the time it's not that I was like struggling with my weight. I just was struggling with consistency. Um, but when we got the Peloton, it was such a game changer because it was in our house, our apartment. Day by day, I took it. I took it really slowly, and I started working out more and more. It just like totally changed my life. I I feel like the greatest takeaway for me about working out. There's many, but one is when you conquer something like a cycling ride that you thought you couldn't do and that you thought would be too hard for you and that you thought like other people could do and other people are great and other people are athletes but that's just not for you like Mm because you're just that's not you like you're not good enough for that when you conquer something like that and your brain realizes and you realize like i am a badass I can conquer that spin class. There's no fucking reason why other people in this world can be athletes and can can do 45-minute spin classes and not be out of breath or whatever, and that I have to struggle. Like, I am no worse than anyone else, and I will conquer this. So I feel like repeated exposures to, like, feeling like I couldn't do something and then conquering it really boosted my confidence and made mm. me happier. That's one end. And then on the other end, it really helps my relationship with food and eating in general. I think that as women, all of us really struggle in that regard. I I haven't yet to meet a single woman who has not been worried about her body image at a certain point in her life. You know, obviously, there's a huge spectrum, and I have fallen in various places on the spectrum before. And I feel like having the consistency of working out and really enjoying it just helped me enjoy my food more and helped me create my mentality separating eating and food, which I love brought me the greatest joy was, was literally my career path and what I wanted versus, you know, being healthy and, and enjoying working out and enjoying feeling good about myself. So, so, so yeah, I would say in short, the main, that was my main resource. And then I also, you know, God, I could talk to you forever, Natalie, but I also like definitely (laughs) did a lot of work on eliminating toxic relationships. And Mm. just, I think it was really a time for boosting my confidence because it was really low. So I think working out helped with that. And I think that it's cheesy to say, but you are the product of the people you spend the most time with. So I started to be a little bit more mindful of that. And, you know, I want to be successful. I always wanted to be successful and i just started eliminating things that were weighing
0: me down. Yeah, which is which is so smart and a, and a hard a hard thing to do especially yeah. when when you, as a person you are someone who is positive and like who sees the best in people and wants to, you know, it's like oh well they they won't, you know, drag me down, but at the end of the day that that saying is so true. You are the product of the people that you spend the most time with and if you want to be at a certain level or see yourself raising up, then like yeah, elevate And make sure that everyone else around you is trying to do that for themselves too. Because that whole adage of like, you're, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So, and do that for
1: yourself, you know, so totally. And believe that you're worthy of that, you know, believe that you, you believe that you can and you will like just, yeah. Just so
0: many things. Mm-hmm. All those things. Well, that is because I I love that you brought this up because I remember there was one time and I love that you've started using your platform to, you know, highlight some of these things in a way, but talking about body image and how it really does affect, like, I'm sure you got so many comments and DMs that day when well, you like opened up about that, because it's just wild how I was talking with a friend the other day too. It's like, especially now that like, you know, I'm sure you don't have the Peloton in brazil right now but being stuck at home and if you hadn't figured out your workout situation or you you know and now we're like seeing each other like i feel like i've looked at my face so many times during this quarantine because of being on zoom and just like yeah you know but be especially right now like being kind to yourself but also trying to figure out those ways to like move your body you yeah. know, and also give yourself grace you know for for feeling yeah. certain ways about your body during this time a
1: hundred percent like not everyone like just because working out worked for me and helps me feel better and is something that I have like I feel a need to do frequently does not mean it's a solution for everyone I think like, you, you you hit the nail on the head it's really about being gracious to yourself and figuring out what works for you and figuring out your routine and I am very grateful that I've had the opportunity slash I've created the opportunity to speak more about these things on Food Lover's Diary because Yes, it's a fun food platform, but I am a multifaceted person and I have struggled with that, the full gamut of, of so many things. And I would just love for other people, especially like younger girls to be the recipients of some of my wise knowledge.
0: Yes. Amen to that. You started a little pop-up. I mean, not even little. Like, it was a big, big venture um, <laughs> called Petite Pasta Joint. Obviously, you haven't been in New York and given everything that's happened with the shutdown that hasn't been happening. But have you guys chatted about ways that you might start bringing things back or how you might pivot that enterprise into something different? We, have, we actually chatted last night,
1: ironically. Well, we haven't figured out what we're going to do yet. We would love to start Petit Pasta and back up. After I left being a line cook, I I went back to my age old favorite job of being a server. And while I was a server in 2019, I met Sarah Raffetto. Her family owns Raffetto's Fresh Pasta, which is a historic, amazing fresh pasta shop in Greenwich Village. It's been around since 1906. And Sarah was embarking on creating kind of like a female-led dinner series. She'd always had dreams of transforming the space from like a deli slash pasta shop during the Mm -hmm. day do a kind of like a cool little like dinner pop-up at night
0: yeah and so sarah and i did
1: it together one time and then we were like we love this and we love each other let's just do this together so then we started Petit past joint it was a we branched out into doing private events we threw a couple private dinners we threw a surprise birthday party for someone it was crazy it really grew like one of our last dinners claire danes just came like she was there it was it was wild yeah it like became such a thing it was so fun they were selling out so quickly and then actually the last our last dinners we had a private event and then a public dinner on march 1st and march 2nd and then march 3rd is when i went to brazil that was like the Mm. end of the tea joint as we know it i've always been off more than I can chew and I think uh, I'm constantly in a place where I'm figuring out what I want to do versus what I'm physically able to do because there's only so many hours in a day. I would really love to bring Petit Joint back and I would lo- I would love to see it come back in some iteration but the sad truth is I just don't think the world is ready for that yet and I don't think New York will be ready for that for a while and I don't want to push it. Maybe when I'm back in New York Sarah and I can figure out a way to help the community with Petit Joint or you know pivot somehow maybe create Mm -hmm. some merch and and you know kind of like what a lot of people are doing but for now it's it's um it's my dormant baby and that's
0: completely okay and I just you know that that's what's the the crazy thing about right now is that you just you are you you do have to sort of shelve some projects but just know that they have a space sometime you know, in the future.
1: I think if there's one takeaway in my life, I've made what feels like a lot of lateral moves, which I think is like, it's kind of contrary to what we're taught as kids. Like you go to a job, you get a promotion you get another promotion you switch companies but then mm-hmm. you paid more and then you know like the traditional career path and in my life i've made a lot of lateral moves but i like to think of each lateral move as a block and eventually all those blocks add up and they stack up and you kind of make your way to the top slowly and it feels weird and it feels untraditional and when you're in the thick of it you're like what the hell am i doing i'm not right. progressing i'm just doing all sorts of random shit but trust me if you're passionate hard hardworking, all those random things do end up amounting to something
0: I I love that so much that that feels so right, uh, given everything right now. And also it just rings true for me as well, being, being someone who's figuring out how to, how to pivot and use all my like facets and loves in life to kind of build a full life in this new, new space. That's a wonderful advice. And yeah, I always love to end the episode, just asking fun food related questions. So I always lead with, um, if you were to have a dinner party, are there any dream guests dead or alive that you would invite and what would be on the menu? Wow.
1: That's really hard. I've actually never answered that question. The menu part <laughs> easier, but okay. Okay. Let's just think about people I'm fascinated by. Okay. I love Tim Ferriss. I would mm-hmm. love to meet him. I think he's just so fascinating you know as much as I think I love Beyonce and her music's really motivating she's a situation where I don't want to meet my hero like because I don't think meeting her will ever live up to who she is in my head Mm -hmm. so maybe not robin arzon who is my favorite peloton instructor i would love her to be present she's vegan so it would be challenging but we would work around it <laughs> she's amazing she's just so motivating her story is crazy i really encourage you to look it up she was like a lawyer in new york and she got held up at gunpoint and had this whole crazy like coming to jesus moment where she decided and then she started running as for own personal therapy and, and now she's the vp of peloton so
0: wow uh,
1: fascinating, fascinating woman. I really like these two body positive bloggers. One is Katie Serino. She used to be called the 12-ish style. She's Isn't she the one so who um
0: has the deodorant? Mega Babe. Mega Babe. Yeah. I use,
1: it's my favorite deodorant. It's the best. Really? Yeah. I, need to I get love it, Mega Babe. I hate my it's deodorant. so good. She's so fascinating. And then there's this girl named Sarah Landry, the bird's papaya. She lives in Canada and she's a mom and she's just amazing and i think she's a huge pioneer when it comes to accepting your own self and your body Mm. and i really turned to her i like shanae alexander she's another person on instagram that i'm like i would totally get along with that girl she's wonderful that's a good enough there's yeah those are those are
0: all fascinating people i can't wait to look up you know all these women just mentioned
1: yeah we'd love to bring my babushka back for dinner as well and then what will we eat I think that we would have a big pasta feast. I would make um, a giant shrimp pasta because it is Mm. like, that is how I show love is through shrimp pasta. And I think it's because I love it so much and I just expect everyone else to love it so much. But like fresh giant shrimp, maybe like linguine or fresh tagliatelle or tagliarini if that's Mm. available, like a garlicky, lemony, buttery sauce, lots of parsley. That would be probably the main course.
0: That sounds so good. I really want to make that for dinner. Tonight. I make, it
1: like, <laughs> make it actually, there's a recipe in my book. Um, the tagliatelle Bianchi and Neri. I made it with half squidding. I made fresh squidding pasta and then fresh egg pasta, but you could use easily use box pasta and just use the sauce and it's really good. So I, I oh my that. God.
0: What are some things you always have in your fridge?
1: I love this question. Um, (laughs) I always have butter, tons of unsalted butter. I always have lemons. I always have miso. I usually always have like deli meats and cheeses because we love making sandwiches. Also, I'm like a mom from the 1950s. I love a good like smoked Gouda turkey roll up with QB mayo. Oh, QB mayo. Mm. 100%. I have tons of like sauces. I always have like Calabrian chilies and oil. I, after I open them, I keep them in the fridge. Otherwise, at a pantry situation, sparkling water, tons of it. I'm not necessarily a brand loyalist to anyone, but I typically order because it's New York. If I order in bulk, I order from Box and they have Polar Seltzer. So I like Polar Seltzer a lot. Yeah, eggs. Always have eggs. It's not always, always. Eggs. always
0: yeah. Amazing. Hoping that everything is able to open back up eventually. What are some places you're looking forward to eating at?
1: I've been dreaming about this. Uh, <laughs> my first <laughs> shop will be Amami Sushi in Greenpoint. Brazil is amazing for many, many things, but like sushi in where I, I'm thinking in São Paulo is better, but where I am, sushi is just not one of them, which is fine because there's so many things here that no one else can do in the States, but I miss... Delicious, perfect sushi, and a mommy's my spot. There's a place called Forma Pasta Factory, also in Greenpoint. Their pasta is ridiculous. So it's like fresh pasta and then also dry pasta, but they extrude on site. So it's like fresh extruded pasta. And they have this one dish. My mouth is pooling with saliva. They have this one dish, <laughs> this one dish and that is pipette al ragu. It's like this white, herby pork sausage ragu with this pipette pasta that's just so like such a textural experience and it's so chewy and perfect because it's not all dente like the pasta you make yourself because when it's extruded on site it has a whole different texture. So forma, amami, I really miss, I want to go to Raffetto's to visit Sarah and also just to pick up some fresh pasta there. I miss Chinatown more than I miss anything in the world. I would do anything to go to Spicy Village to eat big tray chicken the beef pancake and the, I love the hand-pulled noodle, noodles with the red scallion oil. And I would love to say hi to the owner, Wendy. I can't wait to go to Shuzhou Fuzhou for the peanut butter noodles and their pork dumplings. I'm very excited about Super Taste because I really like their Mount Key beef noodle and I really like their boiled pork dumplings are amazing. And they have really good dry noodle Yan, I think like the bean paste noodle
0: yes uh, well I'm also very excited to make I was supposed to go to New York but obviously that isn't going to happen so when I can go to New
1: York and things are open we are going on a food tour oh I'm trying to tell Sorry, I have to add one yes. really important restaurant that I because I was just about to say oh my god I can't wait to take you to and then I realized I didn't even say a rest- restaurant we must go to Jackson Heights and go to Payul which is a Tibetan restaurant with the best momos that are just like orgasmic kind of like soupie dumplings but they're not soup dumplings they're just really juicy with the spiciest fieriest chili oil and hot sauce combo that you combine fuck i would do anything for those
0: i'm, I'm like gonna need to eat again after this right now <laughs> what is your go-to
1: drink i drink wine so are you talking about cocktail or anything yeah anything typically if i'm at a restaurant or like a bar, I always check to see if they have a natural wine. I love orange wine and I love pet nats, And I think my move is usually a pet gnat because I love like a nice, cloudy pet nat with the effervescence. It's delicious. That's usually my move. If we're talking about cocktails, I really love mez- smoky mezcal cocktails that are super citrusy and spicy. Like a mezcal, a spicy mezcal margarita is really delicious to me.
0: Yes. I drank a few too many of those on Memorial Day. I was so hungover yesterday. <laughs> I was... <laughs> Anywho, feeling so well, much better exactly. now, obviously.
1: The thing about quarantining with your boyfriend's parents is that I haven't had the opportunity to get wasted or be hungover yet. So it's been three months of no hangovers. And you know what's so wild? I've barely been drinking. Like at the beginning, I was drinking like a fish. And mm-hmm. now I drink like on Saturdays, I have like a glass of wine.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm it has been. It's night. been, well, I live with my best friend. So we like <laughs> will definitely go through periods of time where we like just pop open. We'll be on, like, we'll like split a bottle of wine and then we'll be like, we kind of want another glass, so you yeah, know it's
1: Maddie, is, or no, Maddie. Lives my her, Maddie
0: and her boyfriend live together, or her fiance rather. They live together, yeah. but we've. now no idea started, I am. that was super creepy of me. That okay? <laughs> no, no, no. I love, I love you're like Maddie.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm like, Catherine. Who's Maddie on this podcast? And you're just trying to build your life. It's weird,
0: but yeah. So I've we've definitely been. Um, been drinking, but you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. It is what it is. Um, so I know you're not necessarily a sweet tooth person, but I usually ask people if they like chocolate or vanilla better.
1: Well, Natalie, it completely <laughs> depends on the context. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about ice cream, 100% vanilla. Vanilla is a perfect ice cream flavor. I don't even want to hear it from anyone who thinks that's basic. Vanilla is perfect. Mint chocolate chip is absolutely disgusting. However, <laughs> dying laughing. Oh, I love it chocolate chip cookies and in fact that's what i ate for breakfast today because last time i made cookies also another fact you can't really make cookies properly here chocolate chips aren't a thing in brazil i have to crush up candy bars i can't find chocolate mm-hmm. chips anywhere other things you might be surprised i can't find in brazil Sour cream's not a thing. Dill is rarely anywhere. Oh, peanut butter is like a foreign weird ass substance. I wish I recorded my mother-in-law. She's not my mother-in-law, but might as well be. I wish I took a video of her reacting to the idea of a peanut butter and jelly. She was mortified. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, sorry. I really went on a tangent, but but, uh, both. But vanilla ice cream is my favorite dessert. I agree. A
0: really good vanilla. You just can't there's, there's nothing Hagen-Dazs like it.
1: Yes, the Haggenda's does make such an amazing vanilla. Their vanilla is perfect. Honestly, I miss it so much because that doesn't, I don't think they have like, I, they have Haggenda's, but I haven't seen the vanilla. Their vanilla, Haggenda's vanilla bean is just luscious and it's... amazing and heavenly. But speaking of ice cream, Jenny's ice cream is the best. Like, they're in the number one. They're oh, definitely. fully.
0: During this podcast recording, my roommate, <laughs> like, I saw on my computer a text flash by and she was like, can we go get ice cream tonight? And I was like, yes, oh <laughs> like God. so good. So no. definitely Jenny's. I think, I don't know if they're scooped. I mean, we could definitely just go get a pint of Jenny's there. You,
1: I don't no mean, friend. I guess you don't know, probably blast where you live. I know where you live. You're kind of close to the, I'm close
0: the to the one in Larch uh, on Larchmont
1: I'm trying yeah. to convince my boyfriend to move to LA cause I'm sick <laughs> of New York after all this shit. I mean, I haven't even been in New York, but I just know that when I come back to New York, it's, it's gonna... not going to be the same. Yeah. And here's the thing. I've never been the girl that's like, "Oh my god, concrete jungle, this is so gorgeous." I'm like, I love what New York provides and I love the people and I love the restaurants and I love the bars, but devoid of all of that New York is like a stinky piss hole. Like, I don't care. I w- I'm ready to everyone's <laughs> putting me up this, but I just have to be honest. <laughs> Amen.
0: Preach it. I'm very happy and blessed and grateful to be in Los Angeles. But usually when I do this podcast in in real life, I give everyone chocolate chip cookies. Cause that's like my family meal recipe. So you'll just have to have cookies. Yeah. I love to- chocolate
1: chip cookies. Can I you make out? some for me next time I'm in LA? I'm sure yours are so Yeah. Good. Oh
0: my God. Next time, next time we're together, you are hundred percent have some cookies with your name on it. Of course. My final question is always, um, what, what does family meal mean to you?
1: I mean, being that I'm such a restaurant gal, family meal will always mean actual restaurant family meal. And my instinct when you first asked that was to remember family meals at Frankie's when we would all cook together um and sometimes I would participate and one of my favorite memories is on my last day as a line cook I th- now this is really where things come full circle on my last day as a line cook we did an assembly line and I made my babushkas barieniki for family meal for everyone so that is that's what that means to me oh I
0: literally have tears in my eyes think I'm thinking <laughs>
1: it was, I literally I just, just teared up oh <laughs> <laughs> oh, Natalie. That's yes. so sweet. Really, really beautiful last day. And I haven't seen a lot of those people since then. And I miss it so much. And it was just like really lovely. And actually the Babush guy I'm referring to passed away right when i launched my podcast called babushka she mm. she passed away like 2 weeks before actually so it just all these things all these memories and i love her baking.
0: Oh well thank you so much for sharing. I wait to make the recipe and you know also all your pasta sauces and everything and just thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your knowledge and stories so been an
1: absolute treat
0: yeah of course of course
1: so fun i really enjoyed being on the receiving end of the podcast (laughs) but thank you for so much for having me perfect if you're interested in the pasta book it's emilyfender.com slash pasta
0: thanks for tuning in to today's episode as always i love to hear from you so drop a line on instagram uh whether it's the family meal podcast my personal one at irish freckle girl I just love hearing from you that you've maybe made some of the recipes, really anything. Um, So truly, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to My Little Food Baby. And as always, stay curious and stay hungry.